beyond. But if you have your copy of God's word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Titus. We are beginning the book of Titus and moving, going to move through that. Hopefully be done somewhere around the first of December, but you never know. God sometimes breaks these passages up for me because there's so much here, so much here. Jeremy and I, I both are very grateful for how much you helped make that happen yesterday. It was a wonderful event for the community. Um, matter of fact, we have some flies in our, flying around in here because uh, we left the door open so people could find the restroom. And so we have a few flies joining us this morning. Um, but uh, it, was all, it was all good yesterday. Really good turnout. And I think the community really enjoyed it. So um, thank you so much. Titus chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4. Let me read these passages for us. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this letter. And we thank you that you have breathed it out through the hand of Paul and the mouth of Paul. And we thank you for the instruction it will provide us this morning and the next few weeks as we go through it. May it uh, awaken our hearts, convict our souls, and make us a stronger church for your Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you remember when you got saved? When you first understood the gospel? You remember when that happened? What, what changed? You know, was there obvious changes? Did your lifestyles change? Did your behavior change? Uh, did you become more aware of your sin? I hope so. Because that's what God's message is meant to do for us. God's essential message answers these questions for us. And that's kind of what Paul is emphasizing here in his introduction, his greeting to uh, Titus. <clears throat> Our salvation is more than just one single moment in time. It is a lifestyle that's meant to be lived out for a lifetime. So Titus is a pastoral letter. And there are three of them in scriptures, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And, it's, and so Titus is a pastoral letter to a man named Titus, <clears throat> a Greek convert, a Greek convert that uh, was converted during Paul's, probably Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, he assisted Paul many times in ministry. You find him listed several times in the book, book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Um, some people believe that because he was so familiar with the Corinthians, he must have been from Corinth, but there's really nothing substantial that, that confirms that. But he also was with uh, Paul when they went to Jerusalem one time, and now he's on the island of Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea as an overseer of overseers, in a sense, an overseer of churches. He's an elder pastor over many churches on Crete, and Paul's now going to instruct him a little bit more on the finer points of ministry. Now, remember, this guy has probably hung out with Paul for, like Timothy, about 15 years before he was put somewhere and left. And so he's got some experience under his belt, but there's just a lot of things going on on the island of Crete. And we're going to find out as we go through this book kind of what happened. But today's text, Paul is greeting Titus and the churches there. He's greeting them 
with the full purpose of what the gospel message is for. This is probably one of the longer introductions Paul gives or longer greetings. And it's full of a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of truth and a lot of essential things that it's good for us to know. So I'm going to we're going to try to break that down. God wants believers to understand that the point of his message is salvation and what it means to us to be saved by the gospel message. So we want to first look at some qualities that come from God's message. First of all, we see kind of a chain of events that happen, or a chain of, of traits and qualities that connect to God, us to God by the message of Jesus Christ and the redemption that comes from that. So the first point this morning is God's essential message has essential traits for us. Verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read this passage again for us. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Paul identifies himself as a slave to God. And not many of us walk around saying we're a slave of God. We won't say we're a slave of anything, but I think we're slaves of a lot of things sometimes. But he's a slave to God and he is a messenger. That's what the word apostle means, messenger of Jesus Christ. He is someone carrying a message. And he embraces both of these titles with a lot of vigor. He defends them often in a lot of his letters to churches and, and to his pastoral buddies and stuff. He, he embraces these. But what makes a slave and a messenger so important? What makes them so special? Well, it's the person they serve and the message they carry. That's what makes this so important. It is not the man or the messenger that makes this a special thing. He serves God and he carries a message from Jesus Christ to all of us, to Titus as well as he writes here. And he makes this calling in us special and noteworthy. God sends his word by Paul and the other apostles to the world. I mean, that's the reason they're called apostles. They were carrying a message. And I like to say they're apostles with a capital A, okay? Because um, an apostle, the word apostle in, in the Greek just means messenger. But we've taken it in, in the world of Christianity. And that word is, is a new word to us. And it means people who are carrying a vital message, an essential message, the message of the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. The gospel is the good news that God's son, God's one and only son, Jesus lived and died and was buried and rose again. For the forgiveness of sin for human souls. That's the gospel. Don't confuse it with anything else. It's, it's the pure and simple fact that Jesus lived, died, rose, and ascended for the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's been called to spread this message. He's been called to tell this message. And so God's essential message is meant to enhance and encourage certain traits of those for those of us who believe. First of all, you see here in verse verse one, for the faith of God's elect, that's what it's called to do. It's called to call us out by faith for those chosen by God specifically for salvation. We call this doctrine when he uses this word elect, we call this doctrine the doctrine of election. It's a doctrine in scripture and it speaks to the fact that faith only comes when God calls one to trust in his son. 
Now, some of you may be wondering and asking yourselves, well, why would God elect some people? Why would God do that? Well, the truth is no one would find God if God didn't call them. No one would, would go to God. No one would look for God if, they, if God himself did not call him. There is no one that would ever choose to believe in Jesus Christ unless God called them. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because we've kind of gotten the idea that we had something to do with it. Well, let me tell you, when God called you, you couldn't resist. So you see that the real essence and function here is grace. I mean, that's what we have to understand. If it's all of grace, it's none of us. We don't have any part to play. God calls us. And so we have to respond because of his grace. See, God chose to save some by his grace because he loved humanity. We've been through this before. When Adam and Eve bit the fruit and, and broke God's one law, he could have been done with humanity. He didn't have to do a thing. But because he loved us, because his love is not vengeful, because his love doesn't hold grudges, because his love is perfect, he chose to save some. And see, he loved us and he did this. He set this up, this gospel message that we're talking about. See, no one goes to hell against their will. Okay? You may think they do, but they, they're fine and dandy going to hell. And guess what? No one goes to heaven against their will either. Okay? God gives faith to receive Christ. That's, why, that's how we get it. Like I said, none of us would seek that if we were left to ourselves. The grace of God calls us. And that's why God's grace is so amazing. It's so amazing. You know, he didn't have to call any of us. We, we were filthy rags. We were dirty laundry. We were not going to pursue God. And we definitely weren't going to believe in his son. So his grace is amazing and without it, no one would be saved. The second thing he points to here is that this gospel feeds your faith. As it does that, it is also giving you the knowledge of truth. It enhances our knowledge of what Jesus has said here. As follows, followers of Jesus, the knowledge of truth keeps our hearts focused. See, sometimes we, like I said, we, don't, we won't want to think it's a one-time event. We think we get saved and we're done and we're okay. But the knowledge of the truth, and I'm talking about this book here, the knowledge of the truth keeps our hearts, our minds, and our lives focused on Jesus, focused on doing what he's called us to do. His word continually feeds the minds of believers. It is why Jesus came. He told Pilate this. Pilate's asking him questions, or so you're a king. And he says, you say so. And then he says, well, I came for this reason. Jesus says, I came for this reason, to testify to the truth. Everyone who listens to the truth hears my voice. And Pilate didn't even know what truth was. So the knowledge of the truth is supposed to help us stay focused, stay laser beam focused on Christ. Don't get distracted. Don't let, it, don't let the world root him out. So the knowledge of the truth is important. And then the third thing is it all leads to a pursuit of godliness. Now, this is one of Paul's favorite words. Like I said, he used it nine times in 1 Timothy. It's only used 15 times in the whole New Testament. But he's used it again here. The pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of perfection comes when that knowledge of truth leads the soul to Christ more. As we move closer and closer to Christ, as we get rid of junk in our lives and start living more for Christ, it brings us to a pursuit 
of holiness. This is the chain of events that's going on right here, okay? This chain right here in, this, in these verses, verses one, verse, the, the second half of verse one. Faith in Jesus leads to gaining more knowledge about Jesus so the believer can live more like Jesus. Faith in Jesus leads more to gaining the knowledge about Jesus so that we can live closer to Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's got to be always Jesus. It's got to be the focus. But that's not all, folks. In verse 2, Paul goes on. In the hope of eternal life. Now, that changes everything, right? It should. There's a song, a Christian song out right now called Heaven Changes Everything. It should. The idea that your eternal security, this is the worst it'll ever get for us, okay? Planet Earth is the worst it will ever be for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Wars, rumors of war, earthquakes, famines, droughts, floods. This is the worst it'll ever be for us. It only gets better from here. When we get to heaven, it's only better. And that's eternal life. This chain is lived out in the hope and certainty of eternal. This isn't wishful thinking. This is not just, I, I'm, I hope so. It's assurance, okay? It's knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. Eternal life, like I said, eternal life, which God promised before time. He promised this before time began. Let your mind think about that. See, God doesn't own a calendar or a wristwatch. He doesn't have time. Time's something he invented for us, and he based it off of the revolution of solar systems and planets. He did this before time even began. See, he wasn't planning that or deriving this plan after Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. He didn't do that. It was already on the books. And since God doesn't have time and he is faultlessly perfect in his perception of everything, this plan has always been, always been on his mind. It has always existed in the mind of God to do what he has done for us, to create us, to give us an option of choosing him and then to save some who don't choose him of us that don't choose him. His flawless plan to save people was designed and we say it in eternity past like there was a point out there. But really, in God's mind, there is no point. He just had the plan. And this is not a plan B. This is not a derivative of plan A. OK, it is God's decreed will forever. It always has been. It wasn't something he made since Adam and Eve messed up in the Garden of Eden. And all of this connects back to what I was talking about earlier about election. Those he chose before any human actually existed. He chose. So it's based nothing on what we've done. That's why it's grace. It's all of grace. It is a gift from God. And this truth, this essential message that I'm talking about, that Paul's talking about in, in this greeting, this essential message is the pure, unadulterated and factual word of God Almighty. And if you don't believe that, that'll make this a lot harder to share, to tell, to live out. I mean, when we say God is sovereign, we like using that word. We really like that word a lot. Sovereign. It means everything. I mean, we've heard of sovereign kings and sovereign lords, humans, and they're not really in control of a lot of stuff. They think they are. You know, they don't know what everything's going on in their, in their fiefdom, in their kingdom. God's not like that. He knows everything. 
And so he is sovereign over everything. He has total command of everything. But that's not all. That's not all. Verse 3. He chose to reveal this message of redemption at a particular point in time. He's not governed by time, but he picked a time when it would be perfect. He set it all up. When he knew that it would be absolutely the best time to do this. Jesus didn't come late or early. He didn't come by accident or fate. He didn't randomly show up in human history or haphazardly showed up in human history. It was planned from eternity past. God's revelation of his plan came in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15. When they sinned, he said, I'm going to send someone that crushes Satan's head. That's when it was initially revealed. He revealed his son in Luke chapter 2 at the perfect time. Now, why was it the perfect time? Well, never before or after, really, in human history were the conditions perfectly right for Jesus to come like it was when he came. For his message to flourish. Think about it. Roman Empire has got pretty much the whole known world under wraps. They're under Roman peace. I know that doesn't sound like peace, but they were. They were under peace. Rome was very particular about keeping the peace over the people they conquered in a very diplomatic way, really, not a very forceful way unless they needed to. There was one language, pretty much, Greek. Greek had, from the Greek Empire. There were roads, the Roman roads, oh, all over Europe and, and Asia. You could get somewhere in pretty good time. I mean, you didn't have cars, but. And there was geopolitical stability during that time. So people could roam from border to border across countries without papers, passports. They wouldn't get stopped at a border because of the geopolitical stability in the world. And all of this came together to propagate the message of the gospel. God chose to use words right here to spread the essential message. And that's what he talks about, Paul talks about next here. It's like he revealed it at the proper time in the preaching, which I was interested in. Words. <clears throat> so people are kind of sometimes asking you, the well, ask the question, well, why didn't God just save people? Why does he have to, why do you have to go to church and listen to some guy stand behind a, a podium and preach? Because God chose words. God chose words. He chose to use words to spread this essential message. Why? Well, my best answer, I'm glad you asked, but why? In the beginning, in the beginning, God said. He spoke everything into existence. Nothing came about because he molded it or went and found something else. He spoke everything into existence. The word spoken, written and read is the tool that God desired to use. So I'm not going to question it. I'm just keep doing it. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Words, you know, one thing about words is they're not tangible. They're not physical. So you have to hear them, believe them, and put them into action. Requires faith. Faith, which he gives us to believe in the gospel. We must believe them and we must repeat them. We must act on them. So preaching really... This has no special attribute here, really. I'm nothing, okay? I really am. It's got no special ability except what God gives it. And it's the message that we proclaim that gives it anything powerful. 
See, the power is not from the speaker. Paul testifies that about many times. The speaker, the preacher, the author, it's solely in the fact that God inhabits the message, the words of truth. You know, Jesus came and he did signs and miracles and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Those who truly followed him, those who really believed, they believed because, as Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. Not you have the miracles of eternal life, not that you have the signs of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. See, that makes the difference. And God chose to use it. And so we need to act on them. We need to believe them. We need to trust them. And Paul is one of the many that were entrusted to preach this message. And praise God, God's given me the opportunity to do this as well. This word of eternal life. God basically commanded him to do it. And this kind of, there's another dose of grace for you. Paul, a persecutor, a blasphemer. If you remember back to 1 Timothy, he was a terrible man. He killed people over the gospel. He was trying to stomp out the church of Jesus Christ. And now he's preaching about Jesus Christ. Grace is so amazing. So amazing. So these essential traits that are in the message of God of eternal life. They're, I hope you see them there. I hope you can begin to be, put them in your life. God chose to do it this way. You can, you can question it all day long, but that's just what God's chosen to do. And we've left with no choice but to accept it and live it out. The faith, the truth, the godliness, the hope, and the fact that it's all ordained by God Almighty from before time began. I think of some guys in the Bible that had this kind of faith. That, that was ready to stand against anything. And the three guys that always kind of come to my mind is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those may sound like funny names to you, but that's what they were called. But they had, in Daniel chapter 3, they had a dilemma. The king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Babylonian empire, he had decided to make a golden image and have everybody bow down and worship that golden image, an idol. That was what he wanted everybody to do. He wanted that kind of control over their lives to make them worship what he wanted them to worship. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Hebrews. They came from Israel, from the tribe of Judah. And when the King Nebuchadnezzar realized that they weren't bowing down, when someone tattletailed on them, by the way, um, someone ratted them out, and said, they're not bowing down whenever you play the music to the image. So Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, you must have not have heard it. He was trying to give him a benefit of the doubt. And, and here's the response Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave to King Nebuchadnezzar when he confronted them and said, we'll do it again, give you another chance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, I think the King James renders it, and if not. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They had a choice. They could have even faked it. They could have bowed down and they've been really, you know, not bowing to this golden image. They could have faked it. No. 
Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's going to save us one way or the other. That's why heaven makes all the difference. So many people sometimes seem to think that they have God's essential message because they said, I believed in Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that says, I believe in Jesus, but has God really changed their heart? That's the question that kind of, because these essential traits of that message may be missing in their life. How do you know? How do you know if they don't have that real essential gospel message? Well, usually when trials come or sin invades or tragedies plague them, they lose heart. They despair and they fade away from their faith. They fade away from their following Christ. And that, means, that just means that they're missing real faith. They're really missing the real faith that finds root in knowing Christ, Jesus, for the point of pursuing godliness. Their faith is not there. John and, uh, and Jude both said they, weren't, they went out from us because they weren't of us. They didn't believe. Believers in Jesus, truly born-again followers, will carry the same hope that these three guys carried into that fiery furnace. The hope of eternal life. The hope that my future is always secure in Christ Jesus. That's what a true born-again believer carries with them. And when you know God, who cannot lie, the Bible says, you know your eternity is fixed. Your security, your, your future, and your soul is secure. Nothing can win over you. Nothing can beat you. The war's won. These little battles we fight down here, they're just skirmishes that someday we won't have to fight, but the war's already won. See, your faith is not in the desperate plan B of God. That's what some people kind of have thought. It is in the only plan God ever had, Jesus Christ. Sending his son to die and rise for you to experience forgiveness of sin, that's what he's revealed. So confession of sin and repentance from sin, that is the only response to God's essential message that's necessary. People ask, well, do I have to stop doing this to become a Christian? No. You have to believe in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Confess your sins and repent. You'll find out what your sins are after the fact. We don't clean up before we take a shower. Jesus cleans us up. So when you receive this truth and these essential traits, they move into your life and you live for God more. So I'd ask you to trust Jesus today, if you haven't, to really trust him, to let Christ into your heart. So God's essential message comes with essential traits and it also comes from essential messengers. God's essential message has called messengers. Verse four, real quickly here, to Titus, Excuse me. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. See, Titus was called to preach this message that I've been talking about, the message of redemption. And Paul sent him many times to do very difficult things about this message. He took a, oh, he took a very hard letter to the Corinthians. And uh, it was one that Paul didn't want to write, but they had to hear it. So Paul sent him to do this, and Titus was called to it, and God, God saved him, a Greek, out of a pagan family. Titus would have never found Jesus if Jesus hadn't found him. He was shrouded in the pagans, uh, paganism of his, of his day. 
But God, but God saved him. We all have that but God moment in our life. But God saved him and then used him to carry the message of truth of salvation all over the, the known world. And Paul led Titus to the Savior by the message, which is why he uses this phrase, my son, in our common faith. No, this isn't Paul's child biologically, but it's his spiritual child, which is probably a stronger bond anyway. And so now he's put Titus on the island of Crete and he's an overseer of overseers. He's got lots of towns. The, the island is not as small as people think it is. And so on foot, you would struggle to kind of cover it. So you've got, a, you've got pastors on the, on the island and Titus has kind of been put over them and he needed some help and Paul is giving it to him in this letter. And he leads off right here with two very important things every Christian needs. Grace and peace. Grace, God's unmerited favor. You can't earn grace. You can't buy it. You can't solicit it. You can't order it from Amazon. It is unmerited favor. And it comes from God. The only way anyone would ever be saved from the curse of sin was by God's grace. Only. You could never be good enough to get out of that curse. Grace is receiving what you could never, ever deserve. I mean, that's what grace really is. Grace is receiving something you could never deserve. You could never earn. You could never be worthy of it. No matter how good you think you are, you could never earn it. It's, it has nothing to do with us, the receiver, and everything to do with the giver. The giver of grace is always the magnanimous one, the, the mighty one. In this case, for saving grace, it's always God Almighty. We've got to remember that. By the grace of God alone, with zero outside assistance, God redeems souls for eternity. So we need grace. We so need grace. And then he wishes him peace or sends to him blessings and prays to him. This is not world peace, as we can tell this morning from Israel and Hamas and their uh, war that just started. It's not world peace. It's not family peace, although I know we'd like some of that, some of us. It's not man-made peace. Man-made peace is North Korea and South Korea. They're still divided. They're still technically at war because man made the peace there. The peace really didn't happen, happen. It's div they're divided to this day with hostility still. No, this peace, this peace that comes from God is based on the end of the curse. Because you trusted in Jesus Christ, you are out from under the curse of sin and death. You will not be punished in eternity for eternity in hell. Peace from God to be with God forever. Peace that is beyond anyone's understanding because it is from God by the Holy Spirit. This peace is our eternal life security received when the soul is born again. So do you believe? Do you have this peace? I hope so. When you have this kind of peace, the news doesn't bother you. I mean, it may disappoint you. But it doesn't bother you because you know where your future lies. So you see, God, so God sends out messengers or heralds or preachers to tell the world about the gospel of grace and peace. But what good is a message without transmission? God's essential message has a plan for transmission. Listen to Romans chapter 10. Paul's telling the Romans, <clears throat> he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asked these questions. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Every preacher is a missionary. Everybody that's talking about Jesus to someone else is a missionary in a sense. Not quite as difficult as learning another language and going to another culture. But, but God calls certain men to preach, to teach, to proclaim the word of God to the world. So the sermons that you hear in worship services or street rallies or gatherings, they're meant to get the word out. They're not necessarily meant to, to drum up a whole bunch of response necessarily. Hopefully God will use it. But we got to get the word out. The gospel has to go forth because there's no faith until they hear the word of Christ. So tell others, tell other, sorry, tell others about Jesus. Tell others about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's what saves let them know that God holds eternal life out to them. Because we're supposed to be doing this too, right? Not just the preachers. You, the believer, the Christian, has a speaking part in this ministry. Like I've said for a while, just tell someone you're going to live forever and see how they respond. I'm, I'm serious. It'll plant a seed. It'll make them think. They may think you're crazy, but you know you're not. Because it's based on the truth of God. That essential message is the most important word ever spoken. And we need to repeat it over and over. I mean, missions like what Lazarus and Rachel are doing or, or Peter and Yana that are going back to South Africa in February. All kinds of people we've supported and sent out. Jeremy and Sarah went to Mexico a couple of weeks ago. That is what we're supposed to do. They need to hear this essential message. So in summary, you know, in this passage, Paul is greeting Titus. He's greeting the church, churches there on the island of Crete with this important fact about God's essential message and those who carry that message. And as a church of Jesus Christ, we're put here in this community to bring them this life-saving truth. It's not an accident that the First Baptist Church of Altamont is in Altamont or here. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. We've been here over 84 years. We're here to bring the life-saving truth of Jesus Christ to this community. We are here for this community's salvation. We are the lighthouse in this community. A lighthouse. I'm not saying we're the only ones preaching the gospel, but we are a lighthouse of the gospel truth here. We must salt people's lives with Jesus. When you tell someone you're going to live forever, that's sprinkling a little salt in their life. Tell me, trust me, they'll be, they'll either like the salt or they won't like the salt. It may be too much salt for some. Pray for an opportunity to share for this essential message. As we come to our, our time of pastoral prayer, pray that, that God will help us get this essential message to the world and especially to our community that we're in. You know, God saved us without any help from us. Don't you want people to know that truth? 
that we, we didn't do anything special. Let them know we didn't do anything special. Let them know it's open to all of them. So let's pray that our hearts will ache for souls, that our hearts will yearn to tell someone and see them know the truth of Jesus Christ. Pray that our lives will display Jesus, just showing them Jesus and the way we treat them and that our lips will speak the truth in love. So we have a time of silent prayer and then I'll close us out in a few minutes. Pray for these things and for other burdens that are on your heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.